Hey guys, it's Sozi from Kiss Life and this week is a heavy hitting conversation as I sit down with Dr. Mark Prince, the father of Kyan Prince, a young promising footballer who was fatally stabbed to death 15 years ago. Here's his story on Kiss Life. We're finally here. This is Sunday <laughs> evening. I'm joined by the one and only. Is it Dr. Mark Prince? Can I call you Mark? Yeah, you can call me Mark. You can call me Dr. Prince. You can call me Prince. My brethren's call me Prince. And that's nice. Okay, well, if we're brethren, then we can go yeah. with we can go with Prince. Let's roll with that. Um, but we're at the stadium named after your son. Yeah, it's and fantastic. here we are. So yeah. how does that make you feel? Well, I'm excited first because the energy you bring just kind of <laughs> lifts anyone up. So like, I'm excited anyway just for that. But um, concerning the stadium, it's always an absolute pleasure when I drive down there to just see my son's name yeah. outside. It's, it's it was exciting. That will never go. Mm. Um, and probably a lot of people just thought, yeah, that is it. That is the pinnacle of, you know, how how far this thing's gonna go. But you know, I always told people that, listen, man, God ain't even started yet. He's just warming up. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He's just warming up. When I got the OBE, people say, "Oh, that's awesome!" You go, I said, "God's just warming up, man. Right. Trust me, He's setting you lot up." And after the stadium, then EA Sports, and you know, it's crazy, man. Yeah, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. So for tonight, I just yeah. need to get into your heads and yeah. get your story. Yeah, beautiful. Um, we're here. We're at the Kyan Prince Foundation, the stadium, the grounds, like quite quiet to be fair I feel like I've done this on purpose and hired out the tractors just for them to, <laughs> to, to sort out the ground yeah. after what's been yeah a very heavy season looking forward to the season yeah, as ahead it's, it's always interesting seeing them tearing up the pitch and all that now and just seeing what's underneath and yeah it's, it's just yeah different there's a lot of work that goes into keeping a pitch and looking after grounds mm -hmm. the work has begun yeah. the show has begun um, so take me back. Tell me about Kayan. Tell me who he is and, yeah, your memories of him. Who is he? Well, that's always really tough because, um, you know, there's been times and I've just, my head goes down, I get really sad because memories fade. Mm. <clears throat> and um, it's tough because I remember one time I was, I remember getting annoyed one time because, like, you know, I just wasn't remembering a lot of things that as time's gone by and you find that the stuff that hurts most those are the things that don't go away you remember them vividly um and you know there's just there's some things that are just always there and that i i get to speak about but then you think 15 years where's you've, you spent so much time in 15 years you know, you wanna, you wanna, you want just a, a long list of memories. So it's good to having his friends and having conversations because then things come back, back to my to head. Um, and when we remember about him, but there's just some great stories with Kyan. He's a fun guy to be around. Uh, really fun. Um, he's really chilled. He's not the kind of guy that just wanna run out on the street. And you know, a lot of the times, you know, your parents trying to keep you in. You'd often find Kyan in his night, dressed in his slippers, just chilling at home. Mm. Um, and he was happy doing that, uh, unless he was out there training football. Um, he was really kind as well, thoughtful and discerning mm. of other people. And that was always something that I, I loved about him. Even when the neighbour came over and was, and I thought, for you to come over and come to Kyan, 
there's something in that, you know what I mean? It means something for him to come to Kyan and say, oh, you know, it was quite distressing. Kyan was just like calming, you know, he just calmed him down. It's all right. And he didn't come in and try and play the hero. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Don't worry. You know, because that's what you get on the road. Man, them just like, yeah, what? I'm going to back you. I'm the hero. Like, none of that. He was just calm. He said, just, you know, just relax. He didn't tell him what he was going to do. He didn't say anything. He just said, you know, it's all right, man. You know, you're okay. You know, no one's hurt you because he was having some trouble with travellers and he was, I think he was on his paper round and he'd get picked on and stuff like that. So, um... And I just want to take you back to him yeah. being funny. Because I hear you yeah. say this, but yeah, what no, kind of funny? funny. Um, was he witty? Was he quick with it? Like um, Mad funny, crazy funny, witty. All the he would uh, mimic... Um, remember Starsky and Hutch came out and... Um, do it. Yeah, do it. But Kyan done it so much like the actor that I would just ask him to, like, do, <laughs> to do it for it, me, do it. do it for me. <laughs> And I would always bust up. Um, he was just funny. He was a funny guy. He had a great sense of humour uh, amongst his friends and his family as well. I uh, was always bothering his sister, coming in her room, and she's got all her friends in the room. But the thing is, they always wanted to be around Kyan. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they'd love it when he would he would come in. And interrupt um, their girls' night Yeah, in. yeah. He, he, the girls loved him, basically. Um, Emmanuel, his good friend, said it just banged on the head. He said, Mark, I'll be straight with you. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. All the guys wanted to be Cayenne. Right. All the guys wanted to be like him. And he said all the girls wanted to be with him. Mm. It was just that simple. He had the whole package. Yeah. 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 And how did he balance the calmness? Where did that come from? <sighs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't bring me into it when I'm talking about Cayenne. Um, but if you want to be real and talk about my son, um, then it was like father, like son. You know, I've, when my son got killed, I felt like I got killed. That's that's how it was feeling. Apart from physically my heart going through pain and all that, I just looked at his life and who he was as a person and felt like I got killed. Simple, because my son was, me and him was the same. Right. You know, the only thing with my son, he didn't have the troubled background that I had, where I was getting beaten and my relationship with my dad was volatile and... And to run away by 15, he didn't have that. So I, as a result of that, I had a temper. As a result of that, I was an angry guy. Kyan, me and Kyan was very similar in personality, but he just didn't have that other side to him. Anger. And that side was developed from what I'd been through. Kyan didn't go through that. So he was the, the better version. And that's what every parent wants. They want a better version of themselves because your child will have some of your DNA, your ways, you know, how you are. You're going to see it in your children. Yeah. And I saw kind of, because when I was growing up, it was the same. I, I, I was known as, the, as somebody that would intervene, help people. I got stories from my own friends that even surprised me because I didn't remember it. And what was it about your past or your upbringing that, you made sure was not the same for Kyan, and um, and how did that make you and you and your relationship really close? This is a great question. I learned how to be a dad from what my dad wasn't doing. Wow. And um, <clears throat> my dad taught me a lot. He was a good man. My dad was a good man. He wanted... Uh, to be for, we're there for his family. Uh, he loved his family. He just had his own issues. 
that he didn't know how to deal with. You know, um, that generation's had a tough time. Windrush generation, they've had a tough time and they've still got the slave mentality, um, you know, and they didn't know how to emance their self from mental slavery. And um, my dad carried what was put into him from his parents, beating him, sending him in the river to soak off from his, his, um, his cut body, his scarred body in the river. And in the river is danger. There's, you, know, you know, he could get hurt by alligators, whatever, he's from Guyana. Growing up like that, that scars you. Do you know what I'm saying? Going through that, that scars you. So he, he didn't know how to break that cycle. Um, and continued that cycle when he brought us up and he's got three beautiful boys and a daughter and nobody escaped it. You know, probably my, my youngest brother might have escaped it a bit more because he was the, the baby in the family. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but my dad was vicious, uh, you know, um, when he was ready. He was vicious, as nice as he was, as much as I looked up to him. This big, strong powerhouse, he was my hero. And there was the other side, and I didn't want to give my son that other side. So my dad was teaching me how to do it. But the good things my dad taught me was about training myself, staying in shape. He never told me you're going to be a boxer. He never said, I want you to be a boxer. He just made sure his sons could look after themselves because we grew up in a society where the enemy was the mods, the skinheads, g the general public who would perceive you as a threat, perceive you as danger, perceive you as a criminal and you ain't said or done nothing. Um, so that was the world that we came up in. So my dad felt it was his job to teach us how to defend ourselves, and, and, and too right, because, you know, it, it was war. You, you drive down you a certain area yeah. and you're hearing, Nick, war, go back to your country. Man would just step to you out of the blue for no reason. I want to bust you up and you're just walking down the road because mm -hmm. there's like five, six men strong and they're coming up to you. So most of the time you're running. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I'm, I thank my dad because, um, you know, he taught me how to defend myself and I didn't know that later on that was going to turn into a career, a career. for me. So who know? disciplined you more, boxing or your dad? Um, without my dad, there would be no boxing. So my dad was the foundation of my discipline because he would just say follow me that was it it was just put on your claws follow me that was it so he put on his boots them time the man weren't running in high-tech trainers and all that <laughs> that could help with your feet so you, you know it cushions your running and helps your knees nah you put on big boots and you go to the park and you run and i in my head don't stop my dad said follow me i'm not stopping even if I mash up. So that was developing in me a mindset of already not giving up. Yeah. So even when I was broken, like, when's my dad going to stop? He didn't. So I had carried on. Mm. But little did I know those small little things was developing values in me that was going to keep me in good stead in my future. Yeah. And how did that translate into your relationship now with your mm. son? What are some of those things that you still see in your relationship, given you and your dad? Yeah, just passing on, pushing him to pass this limit. So um, there were times when, um, before Kyan, I was doing youth work and counselling, and, and I used to run projects where I used to use my boxing 
um, because my career ended abruptly and I was using my boxing to give back to the community. So I used to bring Kyan on the, the, tra- the workshops because I used to say, look, man, these brothers ain't got dads, you know, come and w- train with us. And he made some good friends and we used to have a lot of fun, but I used to train him hard in my training classes and all the youths knew me for that. I would, they'll be broke up after the sessions because that's what I know. You have to break somebody before you make them. You have to go through pressure and you have to go through, you know, um, turbulent times. And I use training to do that. So when man was like, oh, I can't take this, you can. You can and you can keep let's, going. Let's go. Let me see how far you can go and let's break past those barriers. So that was what my whole training mindsets were about. And, and Kyan was always looking to show me that, yeah, dad, whatever you told me to do, I'm doing it. Mm. And I'd say, I'd pick on him. He was my boy. So people would think I'd be softer with him, but I weren't. Right. I was harder with him. Was there ever a day he pushed you more than what you thought you could go through? No, because I was the boss man and the boss man sets the example. Do you understand me? Yeah, like, yeah. Like for me, it's like you have to set the example. So they were always amazed at somebody at my age was doing what they were doing. You know, I was going on my fingers and raising myself up from a sitting down position on the ground and saying, guys, you can also do this. You know, look what I'm doing right now. And they'll be like, what Prince how are you doing that like they'll, they'll try but that's the whole thing you've seen it now you've yeah. seen the model and you want to do that and that's all you have to do with young people let them see what seems like the impossible and then it becomes possible because now they've watched you and they want to do the same thing yeah and how did that discipline feed into Kyan's future with football then and why not boxing because when you're a, a young boy at school what is the most popular sport that everyone does at playtime? It's not boxing, it's football. And um, Kyan just got good at football. In the space of a year, um, Sam Cox talks about, he started, he was, he was rubbish. He had just raw talent. Mm. You know, he was speedy, he would leg it, but he had no skill, no control, and you couldn't see the potential. You could see no potential. So this is for youths who don't think, who look at other talented youths and think, oh, I'm not that good. Bro, hard work beats talent when talent don't work work hard. hard. So my son worked really hard and he weren't really talented in football. So he changed his future and changed the game by just putting the work in. And Sam Cox said, bro, he got better than everyone because he trained so hard, carried on playing, and obviously he was doing his training with me. I, even I was surprised when I saw that YouTube clip of him throwing hands. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Mm. Like, just like, wow, son, really moving. Nice. Yeah, proud. Yeah, yeah, yeah very, very proud. Like, you know, Kyan would do his thing, be in his room doing his thing. He loved listening to me singing in the car. He would always sing, be singing with me. We were just having fun because my car was always full with all me and my kids and that was my pride and joy. Um, because apart from training three to four times a day, that was all I was doing in my life because I had this one dream and focus to become a champion. So my my children was everything because apart from training, then I would go and be with my youths for the weekend. Yeah. So that, that became my life and we had a lot of fun in that car. 
You know, I had to stop the car, kick Kyan out, because he would do stinky farts and we weren't having it. Everyone was like, Ugh, and Kyan's was always the worst <laughs> to get him out there. He was a funny guy. There was times when girls, when he got older, you know, girls and phones was getting really popular. You know, he'd have his phone and he'd be doing stuff with me and he'd put his phone and you'd hear the girl talking. So I'm saying to him, like, what, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, I know, Dad. She just goes on and on. I just leave the phone and let her talk. <laughs> Every so often he'd go, yeah, yeah, and then he'd go. <laughs> and where's he learning that? <laughs> Oh my gosh. No, he picked up everything. <laughs> I didn't realise I was teaching him. No, nah, he was really, he was so lovely, man. Honestly, he was such a funny guy. Oh, you have such good energy. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And you talking about him. I never knew him. Of course yeah. I didn't. But I feel like I know more of him now just yeah. from the small stories that you're yeah, sharing man. already. They're, they're just, that's, that's not even a piece of the pie, man. Honestly, when you listen to his friends, man. Honestly, they give you stories. Kaim was Kaim was just off key as well. Like one guy said, listen man, your son come to my house. I didn't even know him. He come with my bridge and the first time I meet him, I turn around and see this guy dipping his finger in my peanut butter, bro. <laughs> And I'm like, what are you doing? We then he's like, oh, sorry. You put the cover back. It's like, I was like, what? There's some stories that just don't make the cut, innit? Oh my, don't make the cut, man. Just... So how did his relationship and QPR start? And why does QPR just have that strand of community? Where does that come from? Uh, firstly, the, the relationship with QPR began when when um, me and Tracy was talking about the different options Kyan had. And it was Arsenal, West Ham and QPR, and we was like, we knew that, that Arsenal was kind of, kind of had pictures of Ian Wright and, you know, Burkham and guys like that in his in his room. And um, we was like, oh, that'd be great for kind of to get into Arsenal. They're like offering him a place. But our thoughts were that QPR it had a great academy. They were known for having one of the best youth academies and we thought, well, give him space to grow. We just felt, we didn't really even know that much about the club, but the words were, you know, they'll probably look out for Kyan even better mm. than Arsenal would. Right. And little did we know the power of our words because obviously they, they have looked out for Kyan mm. a lot better than many clubs because how many clubs are going to do what they've done for a player that um, was on their academy? Like, even if the guy was going to, they had the potential to be a big star. And the reason why Kyan was so big, because according to Joe Gallen, he said, when I just, when I heard his name, it sounded like a star. Kyan Prince, it just sounded great. And he said, then I saw the guy, I didn't know it was him, and thought, he's in the wrong group. Uh, tell that guy that he's probably in the older groups. And the guy said, no, no, that's the guy I was telling you about. Kyan Prince. He was like, what? And he goes, then he came over and he was like, he was just such a great personality. You know, he said he lit up the team. He said he had leadership qualities from the off. And he goes, he'd come on and he goes, you could literally see the whole team lifted by Kyan coming on to play. It was like the team got lifted, like, we're going to come back. We're going to win this. You know, they were talking to him about being in, in games where they were three nil down and stuff. And Kyan was just intent. On, on grabbing the game, you know, by the scruff of the neck and yeah. and just bringing it back. So you must look at this pitch now 
we're sitting, well, I'm sitting with my back to it, but you're sitting yeah. looking on. Yeah. And you must have days where you think, I would love to see my son running up and down, up and down, be yeah. adored and having his name shouted. Mm. And so is it bittersweet to come to this ground? All the time, all the time. I come here happy. I come to the, in the box. I look out at the pitch. I go out on the pitch and uh, then I get sad. I get down, I come through the tunnel. I'm excited, wow, my son's there and you know, all the ballers come through and they know that, you know, that means something to them. This is what I love about the work that you're doing. Yeah. Not only do you keep the conversation going forward, yeah. but there's a real aspect here of, of legacy and Kyan's legacy as well. Huge. But take me back to the day that you received that awful, awful call. What was going on that day? How did it all pan out? What was going on that day was I was trying to rebuild myself. I'd, my career had come to an awful end with a terrible accident where I had to reconstruct my knee and I was all over the place. Um, it was easy for depression to step in. I had to fight that. And Kyan even mentioned that and said, Dad, I'm really proud of you that you didn't let it break you. You're still smiling, you're still striving and getting on. So that was deep from him. So you see the inside I'm talking about, a 15-year-old, you have to wait for years for your youth to recognise stuff about you. So I'd got to the point where I started educating myself with more skills so I could run programmes for young people. And this is about 2002. And... Um, I'm developing this life that's not really bringing me in any money because I'm used to a certain lifestyle and was looking at a future of really good finance and, you know, everything I dreamed of, why I came off the streets to become, I was at that point and then fell right down to the bottom of the mountain. So that was a massive uh, test in my life. So I was rebuilding. So I started rebuilding by first giving contribution. I was giving back to my community, all of my journey, what I'd learned about life, how to come from the streets to becoming something good. And I was sharing that blueprint with them, but I was still wanted to have the sort of finance, the financial freedom that I was after through boxing and realise I was, why don't I get into a business? So I was working with my friend Laban Rooms who, was, who does Gold Genie, who got a deal with Dragon's Den and, and we were working with him before he got that deal. And um, we were going well, gold plating phones, it was blowing up. And that's what happened the day the phone call rang. I was like, okay, here's my life. I'm, I'm, I'm working with my guy, we're doing gold plating, I've got the machine, you know, I'm doing my own business, life's gonna pick Everything's up. Everything's coming together. Do you know what I'm saying? I've gone through a lot, you know, I, you know, my whole world crashed, but it's all picking up now. Boom, phone call. Uh, and plus, I just lost a, my, my baby, my um, stillborn just died. So, uh, you know, it, it takes a while to recover from that. And, that was still sort of kind of fresh in me. And my mum just had a blood clot to the brain. They gave her 30% chance of survival. So 2006 was just me coming out of some really dark places. Because me and my mum's relationship is just beautiful, tight. I love my mum so much. And at that point it was like I'd all I'd been doing was looking out for my mum going to the hospital every day my dad was in K 
care now because my mum couldn't look after him and I was picking him up from the care home just so he could see his wife because I was thinking, how must he feel? One minute he's being cared for by his wife, then mum has a blood clot, gets an emergency. We can't take care of dad because everyone's around mum at bedside, you know, all the time. He's so, you know, dad had to go into care. So I was picking dad up, taking him to mum's so she could see dad as well. And it was just a tough time all around. So I was just kind of sort of getting out of that deep woods of, of um, distress. And um, then the phone call comes in. I'll tell you what, as I, you know, even when I'm talking about it, yeah, I had friends that were saying, Prince, man, is someone doing obia on you or something, bro? Because you, you just going through such a bad time right now, like one thing after another. From, from 2000, your knee popped out and all of that until now. It's just been one thing after another. So can you imagine, you're thinking, I've gone through so much, it don't get worse than this. Yeah. When I buried my, my baby, my stillborn, I didn't think it got worse than that. Like, I experienced the pain that I'd never had. And then the phone call with Kyan. So you get this call, you hear Kyan's been stabbed. <clears throat> Who's called you? My daughter, Kyan's sister, Tanisa. And she's like nearby, you know, at my yard nearby because my, my brethren live near me. And she's at my yard and then... She, she sounds proper, broken and distressed. So I'm trying to get information. She's so distressed, I can't really get much. She don't really know much. All she knows is that he's been stabbed. Um, and my mind's telling me, like, calm, you don't know anything. Don't think the worst, because it's going to distress you and you got to try and drive. Right. So I get in my car, I go and pick her up. <clears throat> Because she's got Kyan's baby brother, Micaiah, and he's like nearly two at the time. And then um, um, I go in the car and I, I say a prayer out loud. I say, God, save my boy, you know. And then this next bit, I can't say it out audibly because my daughter's here. And I don't want her to hear, so I say it, but I say it quietly. <clears throat> And I said, but if you don't, help me to accept it. I do not know where that came from, but it came out of me. And maybe it was because I'd gone through so much over the last how many years that I'd already been broken, and, but I'd seen God work in such a way in my life. But the reason why... I might have been at the point where I could say to God, but help me to accept it if you don't. It's because I realized that we don't have that much power over anything in life. Only how we deal with things, not what happens, it's how we deal with what happens. So I'd kind of got to the point in my life where I'd understood that. Because I'd witnessed God in action I'd seen something that when I share it with my bridgings, they're like, I ain't never heard no story like that before. My, when my boxing ended, um, when my boxing ended, everyone was after me for the money. Like the, how, the mortgage people for the house, you know, the banks, everyone. First I was everyone's guy and now 
I'm the enemy. Like, we, where, where's our money? And I'm broken. I'm on my face. I can't find so I can't earn money. So my whole world's crashing in financially. And they came for my house. Um, and it got to the point where they'd done all the court cases, done all the paperwork, everything was sorted. And they came that morning, officials, badges, solicitors, you know, locksmith. Everyone's at my yard. And they come in and they're like, uh, Mr. Prince? I'm like, yeah. So, like, okay, you know, obviously you know we're, why we're here. You know, this was going to happen. Have you packed your stuff and got everything out? So he didn't know that I was on my knees by my sitting room window looking out at their cars parking up outside my driveway. <clears throat> and I was praying and I said, God, they did not give me this house. You did. You gave me the ability to come from the streets, from nothing, to build up my career, to be able to be the first in my family to get a home. These guys are coming to take the home. Don't let it happen. Like, show up here. Like, let me see a miracle here. And then I got up and answered the door. So they're like, yeah, come take the yards, go, have you packed your stuff? I said, I ain't packed my stuff because I've got my children here. I've uh, got my wife here, and where are we going to go? He said, listen, this is our job. We get these stories all the time because we've Good had the worst story. sad stories ever. Mm. Yours ain't no different. So please, if you could just get your stuff and whatever, yeah? So I'm like, cool. <clears throat> I ain't going to start no beef. I ain't going to make up no noise. <clears throat> but I weren't moving nothing. I was just kind of fumbling around, walking in the sitting room, you know, and still talking to God in my head and saying like, you know, do something here. About five minutes later, I must have heard the guy say, um, uh, Mr. Prince? So I said, yeah. He said, listen, um, looking at his watch, um, all right, me and my, my, my partner, we're going to leave now. We have the authority. Without us, no one can take this property. Um, so we're going to go now. Uh, take care, have a good day. And you're thinking, what? So I'm thinking, what are you saying? What, what, are you, what are you saying? What are you talking about? So they just go off, get in their car and drive off. So then the other guys are still there and they're, they're asking me, where did those two guys go? So I'm like, I don't, I don't know. So he goes, yeah, we need them. And he goes, um, you know, I'm, I'm the locksmith, that's solicitor, whatever. We need these guys so we can you know, get the property. So he goes, we're going to call them. I'm like, cool. I go back in the house. I go back to praying, talking to God, like, you know. And all these things you know, are God. building you to make you stronger for this news that's come now. Everything that's happened on this day and these experiences, in the end, they didn't get my yard. They left. The guys didn't come back. The locksmith drove off. Everybody drove off. And I still had my yard. And in the end, I ended up selling my house. Wow, look at that. So, and that was years later, you know, my children, you know, growing up there, years later, I sold the yard. So, you know, my, my, the guy that was a property developer said, I've never heard that. So once these people come to your house, your house is gone. So with all this experience, maybe that's why I understood that I serve a God. We have a creator and a great designer that if we believe in what we pray for, we will receive it. So I knew that he was in charge and not me. So I decided to 
allow God to deal with this situation because it was beyond me. So we get in the car, we're en route to Whitechapel. You know, we're getting different news. So I've turned one way, then I've gone back another way. And I'm trying to stay calm so I'm not driving like Starsky and Nacho on the streets of London. Um, but it was hard. It was hard because I just thought, rags, I'm just going to go mad, bust red lights, whatever. And if and the feds, you know, try to chase me, I'm just going to keep going until I get to Whitechapel. But I get there and I meet the doctor. And we go into a waiting room and then the doctor comes out and I'm searching his face for any kind of news. Like, and he's just saying, uh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, he massaged his heart. We tried to keep him alive, uh, but we couldn't. That news done something at that moment where it was like, I didn't really know what happened to me at that time. I heard Kyan's mom, Tracy, make a noise that I never heard before, a scream. And I don't know what happened to me, but I started doing some high kicks on walls and then started punching. But they weren't like, oh, I know it's a wall, I could hurt myself punches. It was, I can smash a hole in this wall punches. So it ended up with blood being all over the place and they had to give me x-rays for my hands because they thought they were broken from, I, I don't know what happened, I lost it. There was something that came through my body that needed a release and the walls got it. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a mess. I, I, the journey began and um, yeah, it, wow. Well, I had to, you know, bring his body out. You have to identify the body. Ah, oh, man. You know what, yeah? If youths really knew and they could walk through the process of what happens after they've done these poking motions in someone's body, if they could travel the process of going with the family, listening to the family. You know, if you can do that, then I know you're pure evil. But I know youths couldn't do that. You couldn't kill someone and go through the process and carry on smiling like you do and boasting when you go off to make out like you just duppied someone on road and you just bore up somebody on road, you wouldn't be boasting if you saw the real pain of what you just now done. If you saw the brothers, the sisters, the cousins, the aunties, the uncles, the grandparents, if you saw all the friends and the people that you had really just created a legacy for yourself and the evil and the pain that you've just began the process of, I think you'd do anything in your power to reverse time to not do that. And this is why I have to rise up in my pain, carry it and share the message of ruining not just the lives of so many people, but you just wrecked yours, bro. You just wrecked yours, girl, when you've gone and set up a brother to get stabbed up, knowing that, that the men them are going to do that and they use you to set that brother up because the girls are in it as well. They're the cause of many men in the grave today. There's females out there that have set man up 
because they're dealing with evil brothers that want to do evil acts upon another man's life. And they have to understand that you're not exempt because you never pushed a knife in. Don't make out that you had nothing to do with this. You're a massive part of this, girls. When you buy into this whole roadman thing, he's a bad man, ride or die chick, all of that foolishness. And the man them that are perpetrating this crime do not understand what they've really opened the door to in their own life, in the life of their children, in the life of their community. It's a poison that's very difficult to get rid of and reverse because you've already opened the door to this level of evil and poison and it continues to seep out and ruin lives. And, and on that point of walking through those steps, what are those steps? After you hear news like that and you have to identify the body, what then comes next? Rage. Rage and revenge. That's why there's so much blood on our streets. Because we give in to rage and revenge. And we think that brings some sort of peace and solace to our souls when it doesn't. It just brings more pain and more misery. It's deep. And people don't understand. And we glorify violence and we glorify killing. And we glorify acts of violence that distresses other people's lives and we get excited by it. You know, what does that make us when we gang up like wolves in a pack and ride out and our lust for taking life and pushing metal objects inside live bodies with beating hearts and we keep pushing these objects into the body and there's... That's an insane, evil rage in us. Something's taken over for us to continue to push knives inside one feeble little human body time and time again. And we ride out in our cars and our bikes and boast and feel like we've accomplished something. What level of evil is that, that you can do that act and be fooled and think you've accomplished something good. Our community needs to step up and bun this snitching talk. Talk about the man them are carrying knives and guns. Open, make everybody in the ends know. You can't be around us, bruv. Because you're going to kill someone's family. It might not be mine, but I care about the next guy's family as much as I care about mine. Because if I don't, that means that I'm a part of the problem and I'm not the solution. If we don't start caring about each other, we're part of the problem. If we're quiet because it's your family, but we wouldn't be quiet when it's our family, mm -mm -mm. we are the problem. We have to, we've got a part to play. We're chatting about the government, chatting about Wasteman Boris ain't stepping up, taking care of business. Sadiq ain't taking care of business because there's more politicians in leadership than there's leadership in politicians. They don't understand what leadership qualities is. And to be a leader, you have to care about the people. But we're voting these people in and they don't care about us in the communities. Are they recognising the work that you're doing at the foundation? Or is EA it just... is, Adidas is, JD is, the public is. 
because it, it demonstrates it by them coming to the table and saying, this guy's bringing value to, to, to communities. We need to attach ourselves to this guy. You, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like QPR, they're a brand. They've linked up with KPF. We've built a relationship. It's demonstrated in what we do in the community. Community trust, QPR, great work. KPF, work in the community, great work. What are you doing, guys? Right. Do you know, everybody should be involved in this because it's the future of our society. But surely there's enough money. Of course there's enough money. So where does it go then? I'll tell you what, when I'm driving on the street, it looks like it's going to bike lanes that's not needed. When I'm driving on the street, it looks like it's going to block enough boulders and block enough roads and putting up stuff that nobody asks for in the area. But someone's going to say, but I cycle. That's relevant to me. Brilliant. So have a nice look cycle. Do your cycling because no one's in danger in cycling. We're in danger with our children on the streets. What's more important, the cycle lane for you or, or our children being killed? I'm going to put things in importance. Cycling, you are not hearing all the cyclists barling about everything needed for them. There are some. It's needed, but we've been cycling for years on the roads and nine times out of ten we're safe. It's just like driving. You're going to have accidents. You could, But this is about people choosing to pick up knives. This is different. So now that you've walked those steps, those same steps that you said, if those who are stabbing people at the rate that they are, if they walk through your steps, what have your solutions come about that you have seen has has changed the conversation and moved it forward. Okay. Education. In what in what sense? In the sense where education is very important for young people. And if you're dealing with educating people in just maths, English, biology, science and whatnot, are they really prepared for life? Do they really have life tools that result in success? Have they been taught the blueprint for success? Have they been taught emotional intelligence? And I would say those areas and values that are the most important things because people buy into people. People have bought into me. Someone's told me, Prince, I hear what you're saying, but I'm buying into you, bruv. I trust you, it's about trust and you build, develop trust when you develop character, when you develop values and you give back and contribute those values to your community. So these are the areas that we need to really focus on and make changes in. And that's what I bring to the table because I'm, I know that the, teaching young people to become entrepreneurs really changes the face of poverty in areas. If you're teaching these youths, well, work for Uncle Sam. How do you really break poverty in your community? How do you really change things? You don't. And you get you the stay within the system. Okay. So if you're teaching your people that God's gifted you with something and you love doing it, here's how you turn it into a business. And now you're working for you. You can now develop and bring on other people and create more leaders. And you can start seeing your whole neighborhood changing mm. because you've added value to you. Now you've sourced out with your gift that there's a problem. And with my gift, I've solved that problem. Now I can serve that problem to the world. This is what entrepreneurism is all about. Yeah. And this is what should be taught. This is what should be educated to our young people. Free them. Free them. Stop in slaving our youths by telling them that well you're not very good because you didn't, you, you got this grade in your exam so you got young people feeling that like, i'm not smart mm. well you're great 
the grace doesn't tell you about your future and how good you are in the future and how great you're going to be. What did I leave school with? I've got my doctorate now, though. Yeah. Do you understand me? I've got an OBE now, though. It's because I added value to me. I educated myself. I wanted to learn about the mind, so I studied it myself. Has Kyan's death propelled that study in for you? Yes. Because I've realised that I've had to add more value. I can't just come to you with the story of my son. That's my lived experience. Now, let me add some knowledge and wisdom um, from the books as well. So I've got a structure. So now I can structure my lived experience and create a revenue because I have to feed my kids and I have to eat and I have to develop myself like everybody should be. You know, there's a part in the Bible where God gives out talents and, and, he, and, and there's people in that that were given the talents and what happened is God was very sad when he saw that one of the guys hid his talents. So that looked to me like somebody who's afraid to go for their life and go for their dreams. So what they do, they sit back on it. And all the other people that God gave talent to, the one that had two, the one that had five, they doubled and trebled and quadrupled it because they've gone out and thought, okay, I'm a bit scared. I'm not sure how I want to do in life, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And what you've done in your life, you utilize what you had. If you're kind, you know, make something out of that kindness. Do you know what I mean? Start something. Like my heart is for young people. So I've created the Kind Prince Foundation because I can now serve young people through that organization. What right. did I use? I just used the same caring ability that I had for my son. Mm. I used that for, the, for more children. If I could be a dad to Kyan, Tanisa, Jodeci, Malik, Kishon, Micaiah, then I can be a dad to the world's children. So I can teach them what I taught my children because right. look how my children have turned out. Look how Kyan's done. So what? that's a great template. So let's continue and to use, use it that. Like that. That's all I've done. Yeah. And before we finish on legacy and, and bringing it round to Kyan's legacy as yeah. well, you've got such an incredible story of resilience. But I have to ask you, yeah. what keeps you from giving up? <laughs> Interesting. What keeps me from giving up? What drives me is because I have a belief about myself that I don't know how to give up. And I found myself crying sometimes because I want to, but I can't. And I have this strong belief that I am powerful beyond measure. And I can achieve everything that I set my mind on. And I was made by a, I am made by a great creator that says I'm made in his image. And what is that image? It's not looking like him. It is being how he is. How is he? He spoke and it was. Guess what? I've spoken and I've seen it come in reality. I put words out and said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come from being a, a, a mindless, uh, um, thoughtless young man who has no purpose, who has no vision, and I'm going to set myself a goal, and I'm going to become a champion. I spoke those words. I was a weed-smoking, crack-pipe 
pulling on, sniffing on coke, drinking alcohol. That's who I was. I came from that to become number one in the world because I spoke it and I acted upon my words. Yeah, which brings me nicely to legacy. And talking about Kian and this link up with EA Sports. Yeah, um, and that's incredible. Tell me if it's truth that... They've used old footage of him to recreate him in the game and people can play him and see him. Yeah. And who is he developing to be? And and where do markers of Kian's legacy still live along for you? Mm, uh, I, I think that Kian was marked for the top. Remember, he was the better version of me. <laughs> He's marked for the top. Anything Kian done, we could have seen Kyan in anything and he would have been at the very top of whatever he went into. Why? Because he had that mindset. It was instilled in him. I remember telling Kyan, your life's like an open page, blank page. You write in it what you will and then you will live out that and experience that in your life. So we would have seen Kyan. wow, the mind boggles when you think about um, what he would have become and that's the great message for youths as well you know what you can become is all down to you so we know that Kyan would have continued being that beautiful individual he warmed people's hearts he made them feel that they could achieve much more than they believed he made them feel a part of you know um, yeah because you know there was times when he would include people who weren't even in the clique and they were outside and didn't have anyone. And he'd ask them like, what? why were they just like on their own? And they would explain and he would say, nah, come. Bring them in. He'd bring them in, yeah, here's my man, here's my girl, whatever. And he'd say, look, come, we're your friends, you're our friends now. Mm. So he was very, very inclusive. Yeah. Great messages friend. from him. So he deserves this legacy. Um, I would do this for any of my children because of my love for my children. Um, and um, it, it was a plan that was beyond me. This is bigger than me. It's bigger than Cayenne. So I feel like I'm a humble servant that's been put in this position to serve serve people. And that's why I think I always make an effort to do what I can for others, even if I'm really tired and not feeling it and people worry about me and say, Prince, don't, you know, work yourself, you know, don't work yourself to death and breakdown and stuff like that. You need some well-being and look after yourself. So I'm aware of that as well. You know, my man Gary's always doing his best to, to look out for me. And, you know, my wife does as well. She's awesome. Dazine Prince uh, always makes a great effort. And I just want people to know that you're not going to be able to do it on your own. You know, you're going to find people on your journey that, um, that really buy into what it is you're doing and you as a person. Um, and want to help and support. So I just want to take this opportunity to thank everybody that's that's been a part of this journey. I want to thank, you know, Tracy for her part, Kyan's mum, because there'd be no Kyan without Tracy and she, you know, the works and helps families and stuff like that. I'm always the face and in, in the camera doing things, but that's just how it was purposed to be. Tracy's just really not on it like that. So many people, you know, I just want to thank our team for the efforts that they make um, to make things happen. Yeah. You know, people have, have done some good things Incredible and played work. a great part. Yeah. So I just want to let everyone and all the people that donate, give support. I think right now we're at the stage though where this has gone global. 
And it's time for that big center because the center really speaks volumes. I have a holistic vision of a wonderful place with floors that are helping young people in all the areas that are needed. And I've got access to high profile people, sports stars, and they will frequently center. And my dream is just seeing, you know, the holistic approach where we teach young people how to become this wonderful character. We help them, the ones that have had problems with families and maybe have PTSD and, you know, they've seen things and that's, they're distressed and we bring in the therapist, we bring in the life coaches, we get people to help them on their journey because that's what life is. Yeah. It's a journey and we all need help on our journey. If your car breaks down, somebody drives up and says, what's up? They're like angels out of the blue, aren't they? Come and help They you. come and help us. And that's what KPF is. We're that, that person that will stop when you're on your journey and we'll say, look, let me help you change this wheel. What's going on with the engine? We get you going again and get you moving. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? And we might even follow you to see how you're getting on. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, all the way through to the, the end of the road. All the way through to the end. And that's how much we care about yeah. young people's future and families. And I think the centre is so important. Can you imagine the impact it makes on so many lives? Yeah. Even just walking up the road for. here and to see Kai and Prince <clears throat> Foundation Stadium, yeah. that was huge. So yeah, Massive. the centre is coming. Center, you need to let us know, man. Yeah. We're coming for part we got, two. We've got a GoFunding page. We're saying to people, look, it sounds like a lot, but it's a drop in the ocean. Oh, yeah. One million is a drop in the ocean. It takes a million to do a murder trial, a murder case. Mm -hmm. That's going to put one person in jail. And who pays for that person in jail? We do. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm saying, okay if we're paying for people in jail are you telling me we can't pray to free people to, to heal hurting people you're just a bag of ideas it's not gonna stop so <laughs> i want to say though thank you so much for your honesty thank you for your time but particularly the angle of humility and bringing others along the journey because we one can't do everything ourselves yeah and that's a fantastic message to be saying um, yeah, 15 years on, but also here after a pandemic, after yeah. everything that we've gone through, um, you're really speaking a lot of truth there. So thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for joining us on Kiss Life this evening as well. It's been and we'll such catch up a soon. pleasure. You guys have been <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Wow. What an honest and yet hopeful conversation. Thanks so much to Dr. Mark Prince and to QPR for hosting us as well. Thanks for listening to Kiss Life. Please make sure you rate, review and subscribe for new episodes each week.